What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benders Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on this show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. for He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. It's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid, while the top seats are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Here's what you do. That's bet $4 on an underdog in select college basketball games, and if they win, you collect $256. The bank is open, baby. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. All it takes is a $4 bet. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome right. to New York. This is, is the Devil's Devil State, State of Mind podcast, podcast. Brought, to brought to you by the, by the Hockey, Hockey Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Now here's now your here's host, host, Neil Villapiano. Woo! What is going on, Devil's fans? It is your boy, Neil Villapiano, and welcome back to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news and topics going on about your New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. 
Thank you, as always, for taking some time to check these episodes out. I do greatly, greatly appreciate it. And i got to be honest with you, uh, this is the most energy that I've had for an episode in a little while. And obviously, the results have still been the same for the Devils the last couple of games. But I still wanted to bring some energy because we have a bunch to get to today. There is obviously negative that we'll get into, especially talking about the Devils game against the Washington Capitals excuse me, the Washington Capitals on Tuesday, March 9th. But there's some other things that I wanted to bring up. And then obviously, once you guys hear this, for you guys to give me a response to, because there's just some interesting things that I want to point out that was actually pointed out to me just a few minutes ago. So we have a bunch to get to. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we'll start We'll pretty much get the negative for the most part out of the way. And we'll start with the Devils game against the Washington Capitals back on Tuesday, March 9th. Now, if you guys listened to the previous episode, you're very well aware of the fact that I basically went into about an hour plus long. Just, just, you know, my basic take on why the Devils have been the way that they've been for this last several years. And I'm going to once again reiterate that I do not regret saying any of that stuff, despite the fact that the Devils found a way to win one nothing against Boston on Sunday. I stick by what I said because a win like that doesn't really change a whole lot for me, but it was still nice to find a way to have more success against Boston, a team that basically out of all the teams in this division, We've had the most success against. We're basically getting, um, I guess it would say, what, two, four, six, eight, getting seven of a possible eight points against Boston so far this year with a 3 0 1 record. And I guess my answer to why the Devils have had success against Boston is I guess they just match up well with that team. Don't really know why, but you're talking about a Boston team that has championship aspirations, and we are basically dominating them in many different ways. We shut them out in their own home building, which is still mind-boggling to say the least. But again, we knew that the next game and the next couple of games are going to continue to be tough. So the Devils travel to Washington, and they're coming off, like I mentioned, the one nothing victory against Boston. And Scott Wedgwood got the start in net for the second consecutive game, and he rightfully deserved it. A 40-save shutout against Boston certainly rate you know gets you a lot of attention and probably gave the devil some confidence in him which kind of makes you wonder if the devils feel like that he could maybe jump Arundel to being the backup for Mackenzie Blackwood I know that's probably a little bit too far-fetched but you know it's still something I think the devils will think about moving forward but nonetheless Wedgwood got the start in this one Mackenzie Blackwood backing them up. And the Devils were coming into this still looking for their first victory against the Capitals. They're 0-3 going into this one and also losing back-to-back games against the Capitals at home to begin that five-game dreadful homestand in which we went 0-5 and didn't get a single point. And it's difficult because I do wonder what would have happened if we had held on to that 2-0 lead in the first game a couple weeks ago. Would the tables have turned? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Hockey is a magical, unpredictable sport. You really don't know, you know, what could happen at any moment. But nonetheless, the Devils were looking to hopefully get themselves a second consecutive victory and just try to get themselves some momentum back that they had gotten from earlier in the year when the season began. And 
honestly, folks, through the first 40 minutes of this game, the Devils sucked again. They really didn't come out with the aggression that I expected them to. Once again, Lindy Ruff didn't really have any specific lines of line one, line two, line three, line four. He basically did the same thing he did against Boston, where whatever line is giving him the most energy, that's who's going to get a lot of the playing time. And so there really was no line one, line two, three, or four. And I actually expect this to be the norm for the rest of the season, considering the situation that the Devils are in. But again, the Devils came out and looked absolutely putrid. I mean, they looked like that they had really no business being on the ice with this team. Now, I will take it back a little bit because it felt like for the majority of the first period that the Devils looked saw that it was going to be a game very similar to how they played against Boston, where they really weren't going to have a lot of chances, but they weren't going to give Washington much to work with either. But the Capitals still found a way to get a goal, and it came late in the first period when our tremendous penalty kill once again gave up another goal and it just continues to be brutally frustrating to watch this team on the penalty kill because as you've all been watching this season it, it's gotten to the point where it's just we already know and we already expect that we are going to give up a goal and that's the thing that's very frustrating and devils dot fan page on instagram a, a very very good place for for devils news and devils fandom i would highly recommend if you have an instagram to go check them out. He actually shared this uh, about two days ago that he was talking about, well, it was a, it was a graphic that said the worst penalty kills in NHL history. And it's the top five worst. Number five was the 1978, 79 capitals who had a 70.25 percentage um, which is terrible. The 09-2010 Toronto Maple Leafs, 68.32. The 82-83 Los Angeles Kings at 68.24. The 79-80 LA Kings, 67.7% at number two. And right now on track to have not only the worst penalty kill this season, but the worst penalty kill statistically in the history of the National Hockey League this year's New Jersey Devils at a 63.9, and it's probably lower because we gave up a goal last night. And this is just, I mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. This is a fireable offense. That base, this is basically shown that Elaine Nazardine no longer deserves to be with this organization. He has made this defense so unbelievably bad. We are actually pretty solid five on five. Like we don't really give up a lot of really, you know, terrible type goals five on five. But the minute that we end up going to the sin bin is the minute that everything starts to fall apart. And that to me is another reason why we've been losing games like we've had. If you go back to this losing streak and the things that we've, you know, losing as many games as we've lost over the last week, almost two weeks now, you can go back to all these games and see that clearly the penalty kill was a big reason. Now I get that also the penalty kill had been improving over the last couple of games, but you knew as well as I knew that these teams that the devils face know how to figure out this penalty kill and that it just doesn't really create a lot of pressure. They give up way too much space and they allow the, the opponents to do whatever the hell they want all the damn time. And it's really a frustrating, annoying occurrence. And it's just one of those things. And it's, you know, you just sit there and you say, 
oh, the Devils gave up another goal on the penalty kill. In other news, grass is green. I mean, that's basically how bad our penalty kill is. And the way it's going, we are going to end up finishing with the worst penalty kill in NHL history. I mean, that is a statistic that nobody wants to be involved in. And the last team within the last two decades that has gotten that that has had a penalty kill this bad was like I mentioned the 09 2010 Toronto Maple Leafs. After that, you have to go back several decades when the NHL was much bigger in scoring back in the 70s and 80s when it was normal to give up as many power play goals as you did. Nowadays, it's just ridiculous. And I know that the Devils are trying to rebuild their defense, but it's not going to improve when you have someone like Elaine Nasruddin, who is a John Hines guy, and I really didn't like the fact that we kept him, even though I thought he did a pretty solid job when he was the interim head coach. To me, you just had to get rid of that entire era of Devils hockey. And I know you wanted to keep a familiar face, but this familiar face is not good. He isn't good. He has proven time and time again he's not capable of the job. And I would like to hope that the Devils either later this season or at the end of this year do not bring back Elaine Nasruddin. The Calgary Flames just fired Jeff Ward, which was a surprising fire because the, the Flames are not that far out of a playoff spot, but they ended up letting him go. And Jeff Ward is a former Devils assistant who... Again, understandably, he was a John Hines assistant coach, but he actually did a pretty bang-up job with the defense when he was here. So I would actually suggest that the Devils should give that, first of all, they should fire Lee Nasruddin as soon as possible and bring in Jeff Ward. I think that would be fine. I think Jeff Ward would do a good job, and I'm sure he would actually jump at the opportunity if the Devils offered it to him. But I'm going too far into this because there's a lot more to get into in this game. But still, not a surprise, the Devils gave up a goal on the penalty kill. And that's where it stood at the end of the first period, one to nothing. Okay, not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. But certainly, I was frustrated like I'm sure a lot of Devils fans were. And then the second period just, it, it just makes you want to turn off the TV. It just makes you want to turn off and stop watching this team. Because this team has done this so many times this year where They give up one goal, and then it just snowballs into two or three others, and they just fall apart. And that's what happened in the second period. It started with they got stuck in their own zone for over a minute, which drives me up the freaking wall all the time. They've done this way too many goddamn times. And as a result, they ended up giving up a goal where Jacob Verana, who is another devil's killer, he came off the bench, and he was wide open on the right side, got a great pass, got a one-time shot, and he beat Scott Wedgwood. And to kind of backtrack really quick back to the first period, the power play goal that was scored by the Capitals was by another devil's killer in TJ Oshie. Yes, I really do hate TJ Oshie because of the amount of damage he's done to this team. That's why I don't like him. That's why I don't like guys like Tom Wilson or Chris Kreider or Patrick Sharp because they always, for many years, would score way too many times against the Devils. I noticed this because I've watched this team for quite some time. But anyway, it was 2-0 Capitals. And like I said, a very frustrating goal because Bryce Salvador points this out all the time that the Devils get stuck in their own zone so much. 
And I think it has to do with just the lack of communication. I just think guys at times are lost defensively. And that goes back to Elaine Nazardine not doing the job that he was kept to kept on the staff to do. He just, he's just not good at all. He's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And then about three minutes later, we gave up another, another two-on-one opportunity. And I mentioned this in the last episode. The Devils must lead the NHL in two-on-one opportunities, not only this season, but in NHL history for one year, because it's just a joke how many times we get stuck with one defenseman back. We have another defenseman who is clearly not doing his job and clearly out of position, and the other team gets a two-on-one, and it's Daniel Sprong and Alex Ovechkin. And I thought that Sprong was just going to pass to Ovechkin and Ovechkin was going to score. But that's what the defenseman thought as well. I think it was Sammy Votnin. It actually was Ty Smith who was there. And I know that Ty Smith sometimes just gets, you know, put on an island and there's nothing much that he could do. But understandably, he did not want to get beat by Ovechkin. Well, Sprong saw that with the amount of open space that he got, and he beat Scott Wedgwood far side under the stick, and it's 3 nothing Capitals. And... Honestly, that goal, I can somewhat, I can somewhat put blame on Scott Wedgwood. But again, another two-on-one opportunity going the other way. I'm just fed up with it. Why can't the Devils generate that? Why do we keep giving up this many, you know, two-on-one opportunities? It's just, it's absolutely mind-boggling. But luckily, the Devils were able to get a goal back about two minutes later when they got a nice turnover in the offensive zone by... Sharon Govich. Then he found Travis Zajac, who then from behind the net passed it out in front to Yanni Kwokin, who kind of sneaked off the bench and he was able to beat Vanacek to cut the deficit to just two. And Yanni Kwokinen, that was a, a very nice goal. I think that's his second or third on the season at this point. And the Devils were able to get one back. But the Devils, like they've done before, gave it right back, maybe like a minute or two later. They were making a change, and somebody passed it to the other side of the ice to nobody. And the Capitals, who were also making a change, were able to get to the puck first, bring it into the offensive zone. Dmitry Orlov gets a nice beat, you know, drop back pass to him, and with so much open space, comes up the middle of the ice, goes top shelf, and beats Scott Wedgwood. And it's four to one. And it and it's just. At that point, I personally wanted to turn off the TV. I didn't, but I wanted to. And I know some people that actually did because it was just another one of these games where the Devils just made one too many mistakes and they just looked like they had given up. And that was the thing that made me want to turn it off because it was just a joke. And I remember sitting there with a couple of my family members who are Devils fans and watched the games with me pretty religiously. And we just went into a half hour, you know, filibuster about why the Devils team is this poor, why ownership has been really disappointing, who really is to blame for this situation. And it was just, it was just such a depressing conversation to have because it was like I like I had said to them, I said, look, the problem is, is that as a fan, there's nothing that I can personally do. And I kind of know what really is going on behind the scenes. And that's where it gets very, very frustrating for me. Now, this also, this conversation was going on throughout the majority of the third period. And the Devils decided to wake the hell up. I don't know what they did. I don't know if they, you know, just decided that, oh, wait a minute, we're getting our ass kicked by three goals. Maybe we should try to get back in this one. Maybe we should try to finish this game on a high note. And the Devils just came out 
and had arguably their best period of the entire season. And I probably said that a couple times in previous episodes, but this might have been one of the best periods offensively I have seen. It started with, you know, Miles Wood scored the first one on a nice feed from Brett. It was a beautiful wrist shot top shelf over Vanacek, and the Devils made it four to two. And even though the Devils had scored, I just, I wasn't happy because it was just such a, I was just so disgusted with the first 40 minutes of play. But the Devils just continued to, to get shots on goal, put pressure, and it was really, really impressive to see. A few minutes later, Sharon Govich got a nice pass from Yanni Fokinen. And what was great about it is that you had three Capitals players right up near the boards, right near the bench of the Capitals. They were about to just basically come on to Yanni Kokonen and just hit him or disrupt the play. And Kokonen at the last second was able to get it to Sharon Govich, who got himself a partial breakaway and with that really nice wrist shot, beat Vanacek glove side and scored. And all of a sudden, it's four to three with nine, with over nine minutes to go in this game. And I'm pissed off as I'm watching this because of two reasons. One, where the hell was this for the first 40 minutes of play? Number two, I don't get this team. We have games where we get our ass handed to us by the Rangers in back-to-back games where we give up 12 goals in total. We go to Boston, win one nothing, and shut out the Bruins in Boston, and we're 3-0-1 against them. We go down four to one after two periods against Washington. And now we're a goal away from tying it, coming back from a three goal deficit. And the comeback was basically completed because two minutes later, Ty Smith found Damon Severson, who took a harmless wrist shot through a screen. And I don't really know how this got through, but it got through. And Damon Severson scores and the game is tied. With six minutes to go in the game, the Devils just came back from down four to one. It was the biggest comeback the Devils had had since, I believe, two years ago. And I was at this game when the Devils came back from a three-goal deficit against the Vegas Golden Knights at home and eventually won the game in overtime with Nico having arguably his biggest goal of his career. It was certainly the craziest one, but that was a game that I will always remember. And it was a tremendous comeback. But the Devils tied the game. They continued to put on pressure. And even though the Capitals had a really good opportunity with about two and a half minutes left where Carl Hagelin had the puck and he basically had all day and he tried to go top shelf, but Scott Wedgwood was able to make the save to rob him. The Capitals just put up very little fight in the third period. And the game ended up being tied and having to go to overtime with the Devils out shooting the Capitals 16 to five in the third. And the Devils had other opportunities to not only to win this game in regulation. And it was just one of those things where I should have been excited, but I wasn't because I still felt like we were going to find a way to lose the game. Because, and maybe that's just because I've been in such a negative mood watching this team the last couple of, couple of weeks. Or maybe because I've seen from past experience that this team doesn't find a way usually to win these games. But I guess I had the right to feel this way because when overtime started, first of all, to start the overtime period with Palmieri, Zaka, and Severson, to me, told me that we were definitely not going to win because you looked at who the Capitals had to start, Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Carlson. They were primed right then and there to put it away within the first 10, 15 seconds. It didn't happen that way, but about... 
about a minute and a half, it's about 90 seconds into the overtime period, the Devils were making a change but got caught in said change as Kuznetsov, who was the only capital that stayed on the ice while the Capitals switched to players, he found Jacob Verana for a partial breakaway and he beat Scott Wedgwood top shelf to win the game in overtime five to four. And I turned it off right at that second because I was so pissed off. Now, I get it. It was a great comeback by the team. We had no business getting a point, and we found a way to get a point against a very good Washington Capitals team. But at the same time, they still found a way to lose the game. And that's the type of thing that I'm tired of seeing. I want to see this team make a comeback and finish the job, not be the team that blows a three-goal lead or a four-goal lead, because we've done that, and still lose and also lose the game as well. And that was the thing that was frustrating. I didn't like the line combinations in overtime and they ended up, and we ended up losing. And that was a very frustrating thing as we've now gone 0 and 4 against the Capitals already. And the only way that we can avoid being under 500 against them is by somehow winning the, the final four games against Washington. If we win just one, I'll be pretty impressed, but I do want to give credit where credit is due to this devil's team that they did not give up. They kept fighting in the third period. They dominated the third period. And as a result, they were able to come back from down three goals to tie the game. And that was tremendous. And, and that's what I said. Like, as much as I was frustrated, I still wanted to give credit where credit is due that they played the way that they played in that one. So, you know, good on them, but still a very frustrating loss. And one that I'm hoping will not allow the Devils to fall back into, oh, we're not going to, we can't find a way to win these games. We're not that good. And, and we're going to start losing games pretty easily. And now the Devils begin a three-game series against the New York Islanders with Thursday's game in Long Island and then Saturday and Sunday, both, I guess, night games, you would say, because one of them is at seven, I believe, on Saturday and then five o'clock on Sunday. So I guess that's better than a day game. I mean, it still is somewhat day, but it is what it is. But nonetheless, this is going to be tough against the Islanders team that's not only now top of the division, but but nearing the top of the NHL. I mean, they're hitting their stride right now. And the Devils did not play well the last time they faced the Islanders. So I'm hoping that the Devils can come out and be competitive and try to win one or two of these games and to just you know get things going. But if they play like they played the first two periods against Washington on Tuesday, they're going to get shellacked in the next three games. But, you know, let's just let's wait and see what happens. Now I want to talk about a quick news update. I forgot to mention this in the last episode. I'll mention it here. Uh, a couple of days ago, the Devils announced that they had signed prospect forward Graham Clark to a three year entry level contract. And Clark was the Devils 80th overall pick, which was in the third round back in the 2019 draft one of the many Ottawa 67s that we have in this organization. And I'm really happy because I've said before on here, and I've said it several other places that Graham Clark is really special to me. I think this kid has the ability to be like really sneaky good. One of those guys that comes out of nowhere that we don't expect like a, like a, you know, like a Kucherov type player where nobody thought he was going to be very much of anything. And then he comes on the scene. 
He has a really, really good wrist shot. He has a, he's one of those guys that has a nose for the goal. And I think is somebody that can really, really benefit us in the next year or two. I certainly expect him to try to compete for a job next season. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. He also, by the way, the day after he signed his contract in the game where the Binghamton Devils had a three, nothing lead and then made, and then lost six to three, he did score his first professional goal. So congratulations to him twice. So it's been a pretty nice weekend the past weekend for Graham Clark. But, you know, hey, look, this is just another guy that's going to be part of the hopefully solution to the Devils long awaited, you know, climb to try to get back into the playoffs and eventually competing for a Stanley Cup. And that's really good. And again, congratulations to Graham Clark on signing a three-year entry-level deal. Now, the next thing I wanted to share is not necessarily news, Devils news related, but it's more NHL news because this is very, very important. And I've talked about it before, but now we have some definitive answers. Um, about two days ago, Chris Johnson of Sportsnet tweeted out that the NHL and ESPN had agreed on a seven-year deal in which the NHL would basically have the majority of its coverage be made by ESPN. Later on today, on March 10th, 2021, the NHL and ESPN officially put out statements and news that they had agreed on a seven-year broadcast deal, which is reportedly worth over $2.8 billion. $2.8 dollars that is incredible and i want to read to you something that was written by sean o'leary of the score again i know guys i'm a big fan of the score but they do a really good job really good at just being specific and getting to the point of what these things are going on espn has signed a seven-year deal to become an nhl broadcast partner the nhl announced on wednesday the network will pay the nhl more than four million dollars per season over the life of the deal as was reported by Sean Shapiro of The Athletic. The pact, now this is basically what ESPN's part in this contract is going to be, which also involves ESPN's parent company, Disney, gives ESPN exclusive rights to broadcast four Stanley Cup finals on ABC between 2022 and 2028, along with the ability to simulcast on the very famous ESPN Plus streaming service and other ESPN properties. will guarantee... 25 regular season games nationally broadcast exclusively on either ABC or ESPN, 75 regular season contests streamed exclusively on ESPN Plus and Hulu, as Hulu also jumps into this, and broadcasts of half of the Stanley Cup playoffs on either ABC or ESPN every season. It also includes coverage rights for the All-Star festivities, opening night, and other special events, as well as the highlights. And Here's some other things that, you know, are very, very important for this. The agreement also affects the league's out-of-market streaming capabilities in the United States. The package featuring over 1,000 games per season, formerly available on NHL.tv, will now only be accessible with an ESPN Plus subscription. And I know a lot of people out there have NHL.tv, and I will tell you this right now. They do a good job, but I think considering ESPN Plus is like something like, what, $5 a month? I think that uh, as long as they don't change the price, I really hope not, but it just seems like it would be a better deal. ESPN already broadcasts or, you know, streams a bunch of the games anyway. If you have like Roku or, or basically if you just have ESPN plus, you could watch a lot of the out of market games anyway. So they'll just be adding on more games. So I think that that won't be much of an issue, but we'll see. 
And obviously, if you know ESPN or if you if you remember watching the NHL on ESPN, they are going to be bringing back their iconic music theme, which was first used in 1992. And they they showed it earlier today and it had Gary Thorne on there. I know Gary Thorne is a lot older now. And I know he basically does Baltimore Orioles baseball games. But if we could get him back for even just a year to do games, that would be the greatest thing ever. Because obviously now with NBC losing Doc Emmerich to retirement, they've kind of struggled with having a main voice that everybody knows, even though they do have a lot of great voices, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, ESPN needs to find that main dude. And Gary Thorne, at least for a year, could be that main dude. I don't know if Gary Thorne will be up to it. It might depend on, you know, if guys can travel again and it's safe again after the pandemic. Who knows where we're going to be the start of the of the 2021-22 season. We, we don't know. Um, but he could still probably do games, you know, you know, be via simulcast, you know, whatever the case may be. But I would love to see the NHL, you know, or excuse me, ESPN get Gary Thorne back. I also would like to see someone like Don LaGreca, who is a Devils fan and is the radio voice of the New York Rangers, get an opportunity. He has a great voice. He has tremendous knowledge of the game. He's very good at it. And I would love to see him get an opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if Buchagross got a chance. He's done very well, especially when he did college hockey in the Frozen Four. Barry Melrose, I know for damn sure, is going to get some opportunity. I don't know if broadcasting or hosting something, we'll see. Um, but this is a this is a pretty tremendous thing. And when you go when you talk about NBC, they're in the final season of the 10-year pact with the NHL that's paying them about $200 million per campaign for the U.S. broadcasting rights. So the NHL is getting twice the amount of money from ESPN that they originally got from NBC. Now, the NHL is still seeking a second U.S. broadcasting partner for the other three Stanley Cup finals from 2022 to 28 and additional streaming rights, as reported first by Sportsnet's Chris Johnston. And NBC could conceivably sign another broadcasting agreement with the league. And Gary Bettman said today, according to Variety's Brian Steinberger, we are talking to NBC at the moment. Of course, they are under consideration. And ESPN hasn't aired NHL games since the 04-05 lockout, but it was involved in broadcasting, if you remember, back in 2016, the World Cup of Hockey. So let's analyze this really quickly. Number one, when we when we go back to the offseason this year, I think we all kind of figured that probably NBC wasn't going to stick around for much longer, especially because we were hearing that they may be removing NBCSN altogether. So that pretty much guarantees that the NHL was going to look for something else. But again, that doesn't mean NBC won't be fully out of the picture. And I'm sure that there are some people here in the United States that really have enjoyed NBC. I've enjoyed NBC. I, I enjoy the likes of Catherine Tappan, Anson Carter, um, Patrick Sharp doing well. We've had guys like Brendan Burke, who does the New York Islanders broadcast, as well as NBC games. And we had the pleasure of having him on the podcast a few months back. And, you know, we've had some other guys on there. Mike Tirico just started and he's done a he's done a pretty solid job. There's no question about it. And we've had some other guys that have done well. But I think the NHL looks at their situation right now with They've lost a lot of money of the pandemic and contracts are becoming a situation because teams just don't have the money in them 
the backing and we can't get all the fans in the stands at the moment, sees this as an opportunity to get a huge amount more money per year, which will help get better contracts for players, get more money in general for teams, and also give the NHL a bigger platform to promote the sport, promote the league, and promote the teams. I did also hear the ESPN has a specific plan for all the teams in the NHL, including the new team uh, that's coming up this year in the expansion, the Seattle Kraken, and just in general on how to promote the game. ESPN has not done a great job of promoting hockey. They really don't try to promote it as much. Uh, same thing with baseball. You know, ESPN is very big on basketball and football because, let's face it, they're the two most popular sports in North America at the moment. They even do more coverage of soccer than they do sometimes of hockey or even baseball. But I think this is still a good opportunity for the NHL to find a way to promote the game even more, get more new fans in here, and go from there. And I think you got to find some iconic voices. I think you got to be somewhat creative with this. And maybe ESPN will. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical because ESPN sometimes doesn't do what they are specifically saying that they want to do or they're trying to do. They don't go on their word. But let's give them an opportunity. I think it's great because the NHL then could get closer to getting away from just a straight cap or just a non-moving cap um, and get back to, you know, increasing the cap more and more to make it easier for teams. But I think this is good just in general. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, we'll see what the, the ESPN decides to do when it comes to broadcasters and marketing. You know, they, they got about, they got about six, seven months to kind of figure it out. So, you know, we'll see. And I think they'll act pretty quickly with this. And NBC, I'm sure, is going to try its best to get some sort of thing going here. Uh, Hulu is jumping in on it as well, which is kind of interesting. We'll see how that kind of turns out. But the bottom line is that ESPN, you know, starting next season is going to be the main home for and it nationally televised NHL games and, you know, being other than the NHL network, obviously the big place to find them talking about hockey. And we'll, we'll see what ESPN does when it comes to, you know, talking about and bringing up hockey in debates and other things like that. We'll be very, it'll be very interesting, but I do want to say one thing, Max Kellerman, this was another take that once again, you look like a clown on. I remember many months ago when you said that nobody cares about hockey. Well, guess what? Your employer now is the main home of the NHL. And now you're probably going to be forced to talk about hockey. So why don't you just stop making bad takes? Because clearly this has happened way too often. And now you're going to have to face a lot of hockey fans for the next seven years, unless you are no longer there during this period. We'll see. But again, this is a, a pretty big news and I'm pretty excited about it. And it'll be interesting to see what ESPN decides to do moving forward. But again, to just reiterate, the NHL and ESPN have agreed on a seven-year deal, which is worth $2.8 billion that will make ESPN the new main home for nationally televised National Hockey League games. Now, the last thing here that I want to bring up, and this was really interesting to me because this was only brought to my attention maybe an hour ago from a good friend of mine and a big supporter of the Double State of Mind podcast. 
There's a guy on Twitter. His name is Dave Turner, and his Twitter handle is at DTurnerSports. He and his bio says he's a Devils, Liverpool FC. You'll never walk alone. Shout out to the Reds today. And Giants fan. He's the co-host of Devils Daily, and he's a TV producer slash director, camera operator, and audio engineer. This guy knows a little bit about the Devils and a little bit about what's going on. He put out a tweet at around 6.30 on March 10, 2021. He talks about Evander Kane, the forward for the San Jose Sharks. This was a tweet that resulted in a threat, which is very interesting, and I want to read it to you guys. He says, Evander Kane, a New Jersey Devils poll and threat. Assuming a much more favorable contract situation, would you acquire him if he becomes a free agent or via a reduced value trade? Here's some food for thought. And this was the first tweet. We've spoken about the Devils' lack of scoring wingers and as much as Alexander Holtz, Dawson Mercer, Tyce Thompson, Nolan Foote, Jesper Boquist, Bray, you know, Clark, Graham Clark, excuse me, is promising they are a young team. They are a young team. Be largely unproven. Meanwhile, you have two talented centers playing without much quality on the wings right now, talking about Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. Kane is a proven goal scorer and is producing points even on a rebuilding Sharks team. The Sharks obviously are now kind of facing the reality of being a rebuilding team with arguably the oldest roster in the National Hockey League. Kane is 29, so his original deal was certainly too long of a commitment, but does finding a way to front load a medium length deal make sense? Makes you wonder. Continue. He can play with speed and bring some toughness and size, but are the questions of his financial situation worth staying away? Aside from, of course, the price tag and perhaps his age, what are your thoughts? And if you are for it, what would you do to make it happen? Now, Let's talk about Evander Kane really quick because there's a reason why this was brought up. There's a reason why he's talked about and why this is such a fascinating situation. It started with you go back to the beginning of this year where, or not really like during the off season, basically where it was reported that apparently Evander Kane had to file for bankruptcy, which was just kind of a crazy thing because the only other time we've ever seen this was when Jack Johnson had to file for it when we found out that his parents were just taking all of his money and he was being left with nothing. But Evander Kane and the Sharks filed a, filed a, no, a motion excuse me, this week and included their desire to, quote, extend time to assume or reject, end quote, the remainder of Evander Kane's seven-year, $49 million pact that he signed back in 2018 with the Sharks. The original deadline for voiding the contract passed this week, but a bankruptcy judge agreed to postpone it until June 7th. And back in January, as I'll be more specific here, back in January is when Evander Kane filed for bankruptcy, citing $26.8 million in debt and $10.2 million in assets. And there is $29 million remaining on Kane's pact with the Sharks. Now, there's another thing that was written here by a couple people. Several creditors, including Zion's Bank Corp, filed recently asking the court, Professional Bank, and South River Capital to convert the bankruptcy from Chapter 7 to 11 which is typically used for businesses. And this is why it's important. The change would be significant because under Chapter 11, the $29 million cited by the lenders as remaining on Kane's contract would be available to creditors like Zion's, which is owed $4.25 million. Damn. 
It would not be under chapter seven, according to Zion's, which argues Kane's losses are business related. If the deal remains under chapter seven, the player and the team would have until the June extension deadline to decide on the contract status based on the judge's ruling. So the Sharks and Kane are considering voiding the contract altogether to avoid everything, to just be like, okay, you know, let's just move on from here. If the court decides to allow the Sharks to do this with Evander Kane, then Evander Kane would immediately become an unrestricted free agent. Basically, there would be no cap hit from the Sharks because it's not their issue that this happened. And Evander Kane would get no more of the money that he signed from that contract back in March, back in 2018. And he would basically just be an unrestricted free agent like his contract just ended. And he would be free to sign with whoever. Here's the thing. I really like Evander Kane. I think he's a really good player and he's a basically a point per game player. I think the Devils should consider it. But just, you know, not only the Devils, any team that would have interest in Evander Kane has all the leverage because they would they wouldn't have to give up much. I don't think the Devils would have to give up very much. Maybe some mid-round picks or late-round picks, honestly. I mean, the Sharks need draft picks in general. I think that they would, I think that they would be okay with it. If the Sharks just decide to avoid the entire contract and Kane becomes a free agent, then the Devils should definitely try to go out and sign. And I know that, yeah, you know, Evander Kane is now approaching his 30s. Or excuse me, I think he's in his 30s. I'm I, I said it like five minutes ago, but no, he is 29. He's approaching his 30s. So he's still kind of in the prime, more or less, of his career. I mean, he would be a good player for the Devils if we were maybe two or three years down the road. But I kind of wonder if he would be somebody that would be beneficial for us right now. Certainly, from a goal scoring standpoint, he would. And he would get to wear number nine. So we'd have another number nine to uh, cheer on. Um, I actually am going to say yes. I think the Devils should try to get him. um, Just not at a crazy price because you don't have to. And better yet, if they just decide to void the rest of his contract, you could just get him for nothing. And maybe you could sign him to a two or three year deal that's not as crazy, that could help the team take that next step in his development and go from there. I think it wouldn't be a bad idea. So I'd give it a shot. I would give it a shot. Um, but let me know what you guys think. You know, you can message me on Twitter at Devil State, on Instagram at Devil State of Mind as well. And just let me know what your thoughts are, because I find this very interesting and we'll see what happens moving forward. But for me personally, I think the Devils should give Evander, I think they should try to give it a shot to try to bring in Evander Kane. So we'll see what happens if the Sharks and Kane can void the contract or not. And maybe it won't happen this year. Maybe they'll have to wait till the offseason to do it. We'll see. But it's not a bad idea when you really think about it. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. 
We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, No Ecstasy, of Being a Jets Fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything you could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day, you know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!